Welcome back to press coverage. Uh, this is Theo Greminger. We had Adam Levitan on yesterday. This is not going to be a daily show, but when you have a chance to, to book guys like Adam Levitan and my guest today, Sigmund Bloom, you uh, you want you want to get them on the schedule, Sig. So it's uh, it's a big honor to have you on. I will say that you, uh, I told you in the pre-show, you know, you're a big influence on me and my podcasting style. I like your optimistic approach to fantasy football. I like the way you see things from different sides. I said when we when I started this podcast, I wanted to have guests on who had sharp takes, actionable information, and I wanted guests that could help my listeners find edges because I think it's mm-hmm. getting harder and harder to identify edges in fantasy football in this massive information age. So welcome to the show. Uh, it's uh, it's great having you on. How are you doing today? Oh, great. You know, this continues to be quite a thing to behold the the whole universe of fantasy football content creation and consumption. And it's always a joy for us to get to spend time together and try to keep this a positive space and a a shelter or a break from maybe some of the things in our lives that aren't so positive. Yeah, no, I I hear you. And um, I I will say on the couch is awesome. Anybody who doesn't listen to to SIG on the couch, it's uh, it's like appointment listening. I think at this point you've had pretty much everybody on the couch and, I think it's great the way you get people to open up and, and answer questions. And sometimes you get off topic. You talk about cool stuff. You talk about music. You talk about, you know, all kinds of things. And I think it's uh, it's very, very interesting. Um, and it, it definitely is one that I highly recommend. What else are you guys putting out right now uh, at Football Guys this time of yeah. year? Yeah. The the series that is about to start are when we get the combined wattage brain power of the whole staff and we give our answers as of now we check back in during the preseason of who we think is the most undervalued overvalued players players that are deep sleepers outside of the top 150 and it gives you a lot of different thoughts even on the same players some different angles or reasons how you end up at the conclusion this player is undervalued or overvalued and i think at this time of year you're just massaging your brain you're just trying to be ready for that fire hose and what is significant and sorting out because the information edge is lost. Like you said, the edges, it's hard to find edges. Now the information edge is lost in the sense that everybody has access to good information and lots of information, but it's the ability to discriminate between the information that actually matters or is actionable or helping us narrow down a range of outcomes or enhance the low end or high end of it to understand where we want to target players and when we, whether we want to target players or offenses at all. Uh, and I think that these exercises are, are good at s- saying this is where we're at right now with expectations, but we're open to changing. Really, you should still have a very open mind as a fantasy football player right now. Yeah, I think that that's, that's really, really a, a, a sharp point you made. I think that we get so kind of dogmatic in our takes. I think that people look at the previous season, people look at early ADP, you'll start to see a couple of sharp people, whether they're high stakes drafters or analysts that are on a particular player. And then it's like the, you know, you, you've talked about this, kind of the, the hive mind creeping in. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, uh, it, it, it's even more amplified now because there's so much good information out there. Um, how do you filter stuff out? Because I know you guys reference, is it, so you've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it certain trust of certain beat reporters or is it is it like how do you how do you filter out the good from the bad or is it a drumbeats thing for you? Yeah, well, I think you hit on two important things. Consider the source, and I was just saying on my show this week that if somebody wants to, everybody wants to get their foot in the door in some way. Here's a project for somebody out there. If you're listening and you want somebody to retweet or share what you're doing, just put together a compile a database of who the beat writers are from various outlets and how long they've been covering certain teams and maybe how long they've been covering the NFL because that gives you more weight, especially for a team. Like one of the guys that comes to mind right away is Mike Reese, uh, who's been covering the Patriots since I can remember. And it's a little sensitive when you're covering the Patriots because they're tighter than a lot of organizations, which sometimes Mike Reese will try to tell you something without really coming out and telling you. But the point is that you put more weight depending on the source and the, you become fam- becoming familiar with their writing style, becoming familiar with what's significant, right? There's some beat writers that are just the facts, ma'am. So if they say, I think you should be really excited about this player that makes more sense than somebody who is maybe a little more optimistic trying to be a cheerleader and we're seeing this now more and more in media markets where cecil my uh, co-host cecil lammy who covers the broncos i shouldn't even say this right uh, but i think it applies to a lot of markets where 
it's an access game. And the more critical you are, maybe you get less access or maybe um, you, someone taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I ha couldn't help but notice that on your show yesterday, you said this, and this has been happening for a long time. I think it just happens more frequently versus, um, uh, you know, uh, organizations that can take criticism or organizations that welcome hard questions. So that's part of it. I think the drumbeat is crucial though, because with the drumbeat and Cecil was the first one really to use that term is when you start seeing multiple sources saying the same thing during training camp, if three or four different beat writers are all saying, wow, it looks like this player is going to have a much larger role, or this player has a, so much more focus and is in, in better shape, or this new offense is going to really emphasize this part of the playbook that was just forgotten in previous years. So I think this, these are the things that give you more actionable information. And the thing I want to say, just as a quick aside, because there's so much great work done. My man, Adam Harstad at Football Guys does a lot of this work where we understand biases, our cognitive biases, and we understand how we aren't the best evaluators uh, in our own brains of what's good, what's signal and what's noise. It's okay to put weight on something because it confirms your priors. Sometimes you were right. And of course, the pieces of information that reinforce something that we already thought was going to happen or already thought was true are going to stand out more. But I think that it's okay to, to dig in even further with those views uh, because isn't fantasy football basically about coming up with your own portfolio of stances, putting them into action and seeing what happens. Yeah, I, I love that. And shout out to uh, Cecil Lammy because that's like in the common vernacular now. So he doesn't even get credit for for, for the for the term anymore because everybody uses it. Yeah. And I'll say that Harstad is great. You, you're on the couch oh, with yeah. him. It was terrific. And um, he got me a little depressed with the uh, the Tony Pollard take. But uh, <laughs> but other than that, like Adam, Adam, you're cool in every sense, except for your Tony Pollard take. That one got me a little upset. But it was it opens up my mind uh, as well yeah. when you hear a conflicting take on a player with a lot of steam. Uh, anyway, Sig, we're going to talk about a lot of great stuff, but first I want to run an ad from partners at the FFPC. Hey, you know, people always ask me, what's the World Series of Fantasy? What's the Super Bowl of Fantasy? And it's easy. It's the FFPC. Their signature yeah, players gonna, uh, championship has a $6 million prize pool, and their best ball leagues start in February. And they're the answer to so many questions. Hey, what's the best place to get a Dynasty Orphan? Well, you can adopt a Dynasty Orphan at the FFPC right now. There's more orphans at the FFPC than anywhere else on the internet. That's why we partner with them. So if you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, you love Dynasty, you love best ball, you love seasonal leagues, all types of fantasy footballers need to go to the FFPC and remember Use promo code UNDERWORLD. Promo code UNDERWORLD gets you $25 off your first team. Promo code UNDERWORLD, $25 off your first team, no matter what the format is, at the FFPC. Go get it. Well, I believe we're still alive, and I think we'll have Theo back. But uh, I think that while we're doing that, I'll just give us a, a little news update and talk about What's going on? I come from the school of the show must go on. And even though it's not my show, the show will indeed go on. Uh, I think the, the biggest things that everybody is thinking about right now, as uh, I wait for Theo to come back, uh, are the status of Dalvin Cook and DeAndre Hopkins. And uh, it's been really interesting to watch how we're getting pieces of information. And I think folks should always remember that when we get pieces of information, there's always some intent behind it. So it's somebody trying in some ways to manipulate the conversation. And in both Hopkins and Cook's uh, conversations about them in the football media sphere, it seems like they have not received the market that possibly that they expected. And because of that, there he is. I was just doing a little segment because the show must go on. And Sick it's not my show. had a technical difficulty there, uh, and Sick like a pro keeps it going. Uh, shout out to it. We, Sick, Sick and I were talking about internet issues. Okay, yeah. there's been some in New Orleans. There's also been some on Long Island with the weird weather. So apologize to everyone there. But uh, Sick, I hope it was interesting conversation. I don't mean to cut you off. 
No, it's really, I just, uh, Theo, I just was pointing out that uh, this Dalvin Cook, the Dalvin Cook and DeAndre Hopkins situations continue to be open-ended. I think the one thing we can say for sure is that they aren't receiving the markets that they were hoping for. I, I don't know that we can really, I mean, we can handicap favorites because it seems like the most interested teams are New England in Hopkins and Miami in Dalvin Cook. But the fact that the players didn't want to take those offers immediately means they're not quite satisfied. I still think they should be the favorites, but I also think that what we really need to consider is if the market is receiving them like this, are they seen in the same light that we see them in fantasy football? And I think that probably you want to you want to bet the under, you want to fade these guys because it doesn't seem like the NFL is sold that they're going to be difference makers. Yeah, I think that for for me it's Dalvin Cook's a little different, but but a number of the veterans that are just sitting out there might go the Devonta Freeman route where somebody gets hurt you know, we never, we never, you know, plan for injuries, but they happen every single off season and somebody goes down and maybe that drives their value up. But Sig, this was on the show sheet. I've heard you talk about it. Is it time for, for running backs to, to get their own union? Right, right. right. Yeah. Well, and this is what's important about this is it can inform our forecasting of players usage because the word I want to keep using is exploitative. I'm going to try to use that a thousand times in the next like two months, Uh, exploitative running back market. And in an exploitative running back market, when you have, Tony Pollard, when you have Saquon Barkley on a franchise tag, when you have Nick Chubb on an expiring contract, you use them up. You don't worry about preserving them. Uh, they're not players on rookie contracts with two or three cost-controlled cheap years left. Uh, even someone like B. John Robinson, it might not be cheap, but still it's cost-controlled. So I do think that we need to take those things into account. And what it also means is we need to understand that the talent gap, part of what drives this is, as we see every year, the talent gap and the the relationship between talent and production is not that direct. Uh, so the talent gap, what I mean by that is street free agent running backs are NFL quality. And there's a lot of them. And there's starting quality running backs, or at the very least, primary or very central members of a committee on in free agency right now that are probably all going to have to sign for the league minimum or close to the league minimum with some incentives, small incentives. And then on the uh, production, and this is, this is part of what's driving this, right? We could do a whole show on this. Running backs don't matter. Well, running backs don't matter or don't take a running back in the top 10. To me, what that signifies is a running game creates value or production by its execution and as long as there's somebody competent running the ball then you're going to get 80 percent or more of the production not very much of the production is created by the player and i think that's why teams partially aren't valuing running backs other than just that they get so beat up and they don't have long shelf lives and the second contract they almost always experience a big drop off in effectiveness so i think this it gets into running back by committee. I think it gets into specialized roles for running back that we're seeing more often now. And it means that, again, as always, it's really important to get those early running back picks right. Yeah, I think that you nailed it. And I think it's interesting because this year there's so few running backs going in the first round that we're mm-hmm. seeing. We're seeing like, and, and I know you guys are, are doing the football guys competition over at NFFC. I know we, we played the ad for FFPC, but in like the high stakes, you're seeing 14, 15 of the first 24 picks being wide receivers. So it's kind of changing the the running back dead zone and kind of how we view it. But it's still mm-hmm. kind of there because of the, the true bell cows are, are kind of disappearing. Would you agree on that? Yeah. And I just had Ian Harditz, who he's a mensch. He's a wonderful person. I just had Ian Harditz on the couch this morning. And he pointed out something that was really eye-popping to me. And I think absolutely this applies in our high-stakes contest. And I'm just looking at the NFFC Football Guys Championship uh, ADP uh, data right now. And I think it applies here. So the, the, the line that Ian cited was, the running back six this year is going off of the board at the 18th pick. In the last four years, it was the seventh or eighth pick. That's significant, and that should be causing you, if you're a fantasy football player, and if you're listening to fantasy football content, watching it in June, you're serious. Or either that or go out and touch some grass. Uh, This means something. And what it means is, like you said, it affects the running back dead zone. He came up with that in a reply to a question. I said, he had said running back dead zone doesn't exist this year. I said, well, tell me more. 
that's interesting. Tell me more. And I think it because running backs are getting pushed down the board, it creates more opportunities in the third round and the fourth round to get running backs that we feel better about than the running backs that are usually available there. And uh, I think it absolutely affects your strategy and approach to the position. Uh, I think it's just foolish to say, well, I'm just going to approach drafts the same way when the running back landscape is different than any other year that I can remember. Yeah, it's 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 crazy how we have these these set in stone, almost like commandments for fantasy football, and they just come crumbling down. I think it was first it was wide receivers on new teams who are guys we want to fade. And then all of a sudden, Stephon Diggs and, and DeAndre Hopkins a couple of years back right. just smash it. And then we talked about, you know, for a years it was don't take quarterback early. Now quarterback early drafting is back. And the dead zone is the dead zone. Now the dead zone is completely different. And even last year, we saw so many, you know, big time, big time hits out of that dead zone like Josh Jacobs. So it's super interesting. I think that it's it's amazing. It keeps us on our toes in fantasy when yeah. we have to change our approach to the game. And, and I love it. One one thing that I've been asking uh, a number of, of analysts like yourself, uh, you know, in, and you're, you're also very interested when you do your rankings because you also have IDP in mind, mm-hmm. like when you analyze your rookies. I love that. But you put a lot of thought, and football guys in general puts a lot of thoughts into your rankings. You do your top 300. Um, I'm putting together a top 300 as well. It's a, it's a labor of love doing rankings. But if you could pick one particular player where you knew their final stats for the mm-hmm. season, mm-hmm. maybe the hardest player to analyze or the biggest right. range of outcomes, who would it be? Right. Right. And there's some good, I mean, there's a bunch of names that come to mind right away. I think, um, I think Brees Hall is a good name here. I think that um, uh, Michael Thomas, of course, some people say, I, I'll tell you Michael Thomas's final stats. You don't need a crystal ball for that. Uh, you know, like you said, players with wide ranges of outcomes. But then I also like to think about not just how it's going to inform us about that player, but our strategy, the position. And I'm going to cheat and say two names, but I think they have similar outlooks and similarly can affect our approach to our drafts. I'm going to mention Kyle Pitts and Darren Waller. Because I think that um, both of these players have within their range of outcomes tight end two. And not just tight end two, but a tight end two that can make you feel like you're not giving up a sizable advantage to the Travis Kelsey team every week if you have to face them in the playoffs, you know? Uh, And I I think that it's you should go into your draft with at least a plan A. You don't have to stick with your plan A. You know what your plan B and C and D are. But I think it's very viable to say, tight end is going to be Darren Waller. It's going to be maybe take them around earlier than ADP to make sure, but they're going around the same point in the draft. So depending on how you feel about them, it can be an either or situation, Uh, but they have this very wide range of outcomes. Uh, But I also think that uh, something else Ian and I were talking about today, I think is good is understanding the emotional state of that fantasy football hive mind, as you mentioned, can help you find those values. Because I think in the case of both Darren Waller and Kyle Pitts, I love looking at year over year ADP and both of their ADPs are down significantly from last year. You might argue that Kyle Pitts situation is a little better because Marcus Mario is not his quarterback, although he does have, we have to make sure his knee is okay. Um, Darren Waller, you might argue is in a better situation because, well, we didn't know it at the time. Derek Carr didn't give his best. That was really weird. That was a weird one. That. That was weird that he said that. And not that he didn't, but that he admitted that he didn't. Um, But now Darren Waller is really the number one receiver for the Giants. And that could be, especially in second year of Brian Dable's offense, that could be magnificent for fantasy. So I think those two players, if I could know the stats of one of them, I would be able to have clarity on what my strategy is going to be. Am I going to go with Travis Kelsey? Am I going to go with one of these upside mid-round guys? Or am I just going to wait and be thrown to the wolves with the waiver wire and hope I get a touchdown? Yeah, it's, it's tight end. There's a lot of like defeatist mentality right now, I think, at the tight end position. And I think a lot of analysts are, you know, don't even want to talk about it because it's hard to rank and hard to hard to find those edges. But Waller is super interesting. I'm glad you brought him up because we think back to Stefan Diggs when he landed um, with Brian Dable in Buffalo. And, and obviously Diggs was, a, a, you know, there was a little less concerns. Uh, the, the play hadn't had fallen off kind of like we saw with Waller. But when Dable gets a weapon, and he's able to move him around the field and utilize him. I mean, I think great things can happen. And I think for the Giants to take that next step as an offense, Waller being a really big thing this year is is, is the path for it, um, especially considering the, the weapons they have at wide receiver. So I love that one. I share your your optimism with with Kyle Pitts. It's a it's a tilting year for Kyle Pitts managers, uh, especially in Dynasty. 
Um, but I think in redraft, he's he's corrected. He's very close to like the Kittle tier. He's further away from the Kelsey and Mark Andrews tier. So it's it's definitely helpful. Uh, and I we've heard you know a number of people have given me Anthony Richardson as an yeah. answer. Uh, just your thoughts on Richardson and what you expect in year one. Yeah, excitement, some football follies. Um, I expect that what's what we will see when it's good is a player married to a system, a scheme, a mentality on offense that accentuates his strengths. And we saw what Shane Steichen did with Jalen Hurts. It took two years to really make this all come into focus, although I would argue at least at wide receiver, there's more there for Anthony Richardson than there was for Jalen Hurts in year one. And I think obviously there's more organizational confidence than there was. I mean, it, it seemed like the Eagles kind of backed into having Jalen Hurts as their starter in year two. It worked out pretty well. Uh, so I, I do think that Anthony Richardson, we should be open to an upside that we can't calculate, right? I love to just say this line. He's the best athlete in NFL history at quarterback. He's the best athlete in NFL history at quarterback. And he's, by all outward indications, in an organization that wants him, like what he has to offer, and a coach that is going to know how to work with him, a coach that's going to encourage throwing downfield, you know, 11-on-11 11 11 football as a runner, and usage, copious amounts of usage as a runner, so I think that we may see some games where Anthony Richardson has affirmatively a bad game, but still a good game. Look at Justin Fields last year. Justin Fields was a terrible passer last year. The Bears' passing game was it was microscopic, and yet he was swaying fantasy leagues whenever he was healthy in the middle of the season. So I think we could absolutely see something like that. Keep in mind that he's playing indoors on a fast track. Uh, he's going to be facing defenses like Tennessee and Jacksonville and Houston. These aren't exactly murderers row defenses. That's six games out of his game. So I think that a quarterback and, and just to put a bow on this and tie it into quarterback strategy in general, Theo, I'm doing, I'm doing these live streams with, um, Tom and Mike over there. At, I'm sorry, Tom and Greg, MFC. And, um, I don't think you can punish the teams for waiting at quarterback this year. Anthony Richardson's part of that picture. So if I if I don't take a quarterback in the first 10 rounds and I can still go in with Anthony Richardson and then some safety quarterback like Dak Prescott or Jared Goff or someone like that, I'm feeling pretty good going toe-to-toe go -toe with those teams taking Josh Allen in the second round or Jalen Hurts in the third round or Patrick Mahomes. So I, I do think that Anthony Richardson is part of a pretty rich landscape of options outside of the top eight or so that have a pretty good chance of finishing within the top eight. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And it's it, take an optimistic glass half full approach with Richardson. I like your idea of drafting another quarterback with him. I think that's the only way you can kind of do it in case there is, you know, stumbling blocks out the gate or maybe a couple of bad defensive matchups you want to avoid. But he certainly has insulation for fantasy production with his rushing output. And I think that's super exciting because a lot of times we bet on these guys and if they don't have that rushing output, and they're not quite in that elite tier, then it's hard to get those big boom weeks that really help you win. And I want to kind of stay with that glass half full, mm -hmm. glass half empty uh, wording, because you use it often. I think it's a fantastic term. Some people refer to it as range of outcomes. What are some players and teams that have a wide range of outcomes and you see as possibly players that could tilt leagues? And I also want to get your opinion on Chris Olave here, because okay. you're seeing his, his ADP steam up in those NFFC drafts. He's also steaming up in the FFPC drafts. I think there's a lot of glass half full with him right now. Yeah. I mean, I'll take Alave first since you ended with him. I think that he's probably being drafted close to his ceiling. And that's just the second year receivers. Uh, I think that the range of outcomes for Garrett Wilson, Chris Alave, Drake London, maybe not Traylon Burks. Jahan Dotson's interesting. We could come back to John Dotson. Let's just take that big three, London. So you have London two rounds after Olave and Wilson. Is, is it just because we like Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers that much more than Desmond Ritter? Maybe. I don't know. But I think that uh, with any of these players, you could see a big step forward in year two and a big burst in production. 
Now, with, with Alave, we already mentioned this with Derek Carr saying, I didn't really give my best or how I forget how he worded it. But it, what I read, Theo, was that he himself was aware maybe he was in a funk. I mean, would Aaron Rodgers say this about the Packers? I don't know. His, years, his last few years with the Packers where he just wasn't um, he wasn't his his giving his all. It wasn't because he was hurt or something like that. Um, yeah, Chris Olave is going to be the pro- the number one receiver, and he's going to take a step forward from last year. And a lot of the underlying metrics, efficiency, and things like that show that he's good. I mean, he better be good. They gave up two first round picks to get him. But I'm more interested if you want to talk about the Saints. I mean, there's always Michael Thomas, and is that the old banana in the tailpipe? You're going to fall for it again. Maybe I mean at least last year when he did play his three games, he was productive. He was the primary target. So obviously, if you're taking Chris Olave anywhere near ADP, then you don't believe in Michael Thomas. Then you think Michael Thomas because because a healthy Michael Thomas is an anthema to Chris Olave hitting in the top end of his range of outcomes. So let's talk about Rashid Shahid. That's the guy I want to talk about because he's really cheap. Um, I think Shahid's numbers Theo. It was like 28 for 488 and like two or three touchdowns. I remember the touchdowns on 34 targets on 34 targets. Now I'm not saying the efficiency is going to remain the same, but I, I think Derek Carr is as good or better of a downfield passer as Andy Dalton. Right? So if we get Rashid Shahid up to 80 targets, 90 targets, whew. We're talking about maybe a thousand yard season of a guy that you can get in the 13th, 14th, 15th round. And in best ball leagues, because of his profile as a deep ball target, like I, I want to create some buzz around Rashid Shahid. And I think that if you say Chris Olave's ADP makes sense, that means you're implying that Michael Thomas is going to be mostly a non factor, which means Rashid Shahid also is a player who should we should be more optimistic about his projections than we are right now. And certainly he's a player I think that belongs in your draft plan. No, I love that. And I, and I think that's, that's super sharp SIG and everybody write that one down because you're the first person that's talked up Rashid Shahid on any of my podcasts recently, SIG. And, and I love hearing it. Uh, shout out to Weber state. Give us yeah. Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard, and now Rashid Shahid. Harold the show so, Arsenal back yes, in the day. Yes. Beat he's, North Carolina in the NCAA yeah. tournament. I from New great. Orleans, actually. That's a great. Well, with the last name Arsenault, I mean, you don't get much more New Orleans than that. So yeah. that's 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 pretty good. Uh, very very French. Um, I want to also pick your brain on Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson is steamed up even higher than Alave. I love Garrett Wilson, but Garrett Wilson right now is a de facto first round pick. He's yeah. going at the basically at the one two turn uh, on underdog. I think he's thirteen overall right there in FFPC NFFC. He's he's steamed up. It's become a Garrett Wilson versus C.D. Lamb, Amon Ross St. Brown argument more so than a Garrett Wilson versus, yeah. you know, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith argument. Yeah, and I get I get it with Garrett Wilson. This is really hard, Theo. I'm not sure. So statistics are can lie to us. Or the, the hard part about interpreting statistics is the why, is understanding the why. Because... Garrett Wilson had a really good year for a rookie last year. And overall, when Zach Wilson wasn't playing, this was a very productive Jets passing game. Um, So here's something I'll be looking for. Are the Jets the team that signs Dalvin Cook, right? That's going to be meaningful. Because on one hand, you look at this passing game and how productive it was in an overall way when Zach Wilson was not the quarterback. And you think, well, geez, Aaron Rodgers is an upgrade from whoever that was out there, right? Joe Flacco, whoever. And that means, therefore, this passing game pie is going to get bigger. And if we're projecting year one to year two growth for Garrett Wilson, and he's a clear number one, because let's face it, you know, I know that Aaron Rodgers loves Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, and they kind of like are a package deal, but that's not striking the fear in the hearts of defenses, right? Corey Davis, keeping him around $11 million to do the number three or four. I don't know. We'll see. It's the Garrett Wilson show, I think, in the passing game. But this is a good news, bad news thing, right? Because the good news is the Jets offense gets the boost from whatever quarterback they had to a happy Aaron Rodgers. By all outward indications, we have a happy, engaged Aaron Rodgers. On the other hand, package deal, remember, Nathaniel Hackett. Mm, you know, mm. I mean, we don't associate Nathaniel Hackett with overachieving offenses, right? We don't associate Nathaniel Hackett with efficient use of players. And slow offenses, too. Right, 
yeah. right, deliberate offenses. And look at what happened with the Broncos offense when he was out of the building and Justin Alton, who's now with the Titans, started calling plays. You know, people that are wanting to hang their hat on a Russell Wilson rebound are looking at those last few games. Let's not overlook the play caller. This is why you mentioned C.D. Lamb. And it's part of the reason why I hesitate uh, outside of Tony Pollard. Uh, I hesitate on the Cowboys this year because Mike McCarthy is going to be the play caller. I don't know statistically how much we can say there's a correlation between play callers and the efficiency of offenses. So overall, you know, I'm not even saying you're crazy if you uh, take CeeDee Lamb over him. Amon Ross St. Brown is safety. Amon Ross St. Brown is, you know what you're getting. Maybe his target number is going to go down with all the great pieces they've added, but perhaps his efficiency and production per target could go up. Perhaps the nature of his usage could include more high value targets now. So he's, he's safety. He's attached to an offense where I know they have one of the best play callers and play designers in the league, right? And it's going to get better. So maybe it just comes down to attaching yourself to an ascendant offense. But if you really want to complicate things, I do think if you're drawing a draft slot near the one, two turn, you probably want to be looking running back at at least one of those picks, which means you're probably not going to get Garrett Wilson. Yeah, it's interesting that that you're bringing up running back at the at the one two turn. Uh, I want to come back to that. Um, I first want to just talk about the the second year wide receivers because you mentioned Traylon Burks. There's a, a ton of like you you talk about drum beats. You talk about like overall enthusiasm from everyone, from Mike Vrabel to the beat reporters to his fellow mm-hmm. teammates. It seems like. The Traylon Burks, uh, you know, the 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 second year breakout is coming for Traylon Burks, or at least they're going to try it. Right. Um, when you look at the rest of those second year wide receivers, you reference London, you ref we reference Burks. You talk about Christian Watson. You talk mm-hmm. about Jahan Dotson, George Pickens, Jamison Williams coming sure. up. You know, uh, six weeks in, you'll have him. Where are we at, Sig? Which is the one that gives you the most pause? You think could really hurt drafters? who are trying to draft these second year wide receivers and, and take the, uh, the cheat code and the enthusiasm and the unknown upside. Yeah. It, it's hard to say, I mean, outside of Wilson and Olave, I mean, Wilson and Olave obviously have the most potential to hurt drafters because you're spending by far the most to get them. You know, I think that, that there, there, there's a long way down with your second round pick. Um, other, you know, other guys that I think Pickens gives me a little bit of pause. I think Pickens is definitely an eye of the beholder kind of player where you can look at it in one way and say he can make plays that only he can make. And there was a picket to Pickens connection. He came alive a bit when Pickett got in there. And the Steelers offense should be closer to functional this year, not a top half of the league offense. So you don't need George Pickens to get that many targets in that offense if he is making those highlight, highlight real catches. But a more detailed and comprehensive approach to evaluating his play shows that there are big holes in his game. He has a limited application as a player. And because of that, especially when you add in Allen Robinson, and I think this is going to be a conservative offense. I think that Kenny Pickett, the first commandment for him is to me, don't lose the game. Don't just don't lose the game. Okay. Uh, so I think George Pickens is one of those players that we can look at so many of these other receivers again, dots and London come to mind right away as players that I think, not so much for fantasy football. Let's leave fantasy football aside for the moment and just say what we expected from them in year one. They did a lot more than we expected. How they won, how often they won. I mean, Theo, if we were doing some sort of conversion of like what one yard or one reception is worth in a passing game, how good was Drake London last year? My, my. Unbelievable. And also Drake London, like we talk about People worry about the passing volume in Atlanta. I mean, there's a lot to like worry about when, but if we're betting purely on talent and profiles, few guys in the NFL have that that real alpha mentality and alpha profile like we see with Drake London. So I think that taking an optimistic approach with him is the correct one. And if you yeah. miss, it's not going to hurt you so bad because I don't think he's like when he's on the field, even if the offense struggles, he's still going to have weeks that help you. I think it would be a consistency thing. But mm-hmm. if they can somehow, if he can somehow see the receiving volume that he saw to end last season with Ritter consistently throughout the year, then he'll definitely beat ADP. So um, I'm super interested in him. Want to stay on the theme of second year because I've heard yeah. you mention second year offenses, and I think it's a great way of looking at things. Last year we saw Detroit, Jacksonville, Minnesota, and the New York Giants all take steps forward, become more functioning as offenses. 
looking at these teams in like year two with either the head coach or the offensive coordinator, which of these four teams do you think could really take that next step? Yeah. And I, they're all good candidates. Um, I, it's Detroit. I just want to gush about Detroit. I just want to gush about Detroit's offense because I think that you can see a clear trajectory here. Ben Johnson took over for Anthony Lynn late in 2021. And that's when Amon Ross St. Brown took off. That's when Jared Goff started to play more efficiently. That's whenever this offense, we saw the embryo of the offense we saw last year. And you also, let's remember this, this, has a, this team has a good offensive line, a good and young, an offensive line is probably going to be in place for a long time, which of course is the foundation of offensive success, along with the game plan, the scheme, the play design, the play sequencing. And we already saw some things last year that are unconventional by NFL terms, right? I, I keep citing this. I really need to go back and make sure this is true, but I'm 90, I'm only 97% sure of anything these days. Uh, that they, they had one stretch where they ran five consecutive running plays with five different concepts. And that's teams usually have an identity, right? Even the great running games, the Kyle Shanahan and company running games, there's an identity. This is how we run the ball. And the Lions, Ben Johnson, really do Staley, who's in Carolina now, saying, no, we, we, can, we have personnel, we have the capacity, the wherewithal to run the ball a lot of different ways and to really kind of scramble your mind and keep you off balance, not just physically, but mentally, whenever you're thinking about anticipating what you're going to do with the snap. And then you have the idea of these mismatches. And I, I don't want to belabor this, but again, this team has a plan, okay? I don't care if you don't like what they did with their draft. They have a plan. And when you add in Jameer Gibbs, you mentioned Jamison Williams already for 11 games of the year. Sam Laporta, and I've cited a lot, um, Thor Nystrom saying, without Sam Laporta, Iowa would have had one of the worst power five offenses in the last 25 years. Because this is one of the things about Drake London. You know, there's something to be said for a player that still produces when a team knows that's all that the offense has. That's what was incredible about Drake London last year. That's all the passing game really had because Marcus Mario couldn't throw downfield to Kyle Pitts. And he still produced against number one corners against teams that knew he was the main threat. Like you said, the alpha mentality. I think Sam Laporta did that at Iowa. And then Jameer Gibbs and what he can do as a receiver out of the backfield. And you already have an offense that was highly efficient and highly successful last year. And you're adding these mismatch nightmares. There's no defense that can match up with all these players. And then you have an offensive coordinator who's bold enough to dispatch and deploy all of these resources in a way to checkmate defenses, not to just incrementally have success, but to actually land knockout blows again and again and again. Dave Montgomery is better than Jamal Williams. Jameer Gibbs is better than DeAndre Swift, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How good can this offense be? I've, I'm excited to see it. I think that you have to incorporate the lines into your draft plan in some way. And even if you don't like Jared Goff, what do we know about Jared Goff? He's good at being the kind of quarterback that is controlled by a joystick by the offensive coordinator or head coach on the sidelines. The play design is to, supposed to work like this. You just do that. He can do that. Yeah. So I, I think this is the offense. This could be the best offense in the league. Yeah, I think that the Gibbs, Gibbs, you bring up Gibbs is super interesting, Sig, because he's going in a draft range right now where there's this is like the glass half full, glass half empty. Gibbs is going in a draft range around Najee Harris, around Travis Etienne, uh, ahead of or near Ken Walker at this mm-hmm. point. Gibbs, like people talk about the weight. You referenced David Montgomery. So there's a couple of hurdles here. There's talent in the backfield that has had fantasy success. But in terms of just pure pass-catching ability, the amount of draft capital they spent on him, talk me out of taking Jameer Gibbs a I'm lot because I'm, I'm into I'm it. Going. I'm not going to. And J.J. Zacharyson, who's been magnificent, was on my show. And he was talking about the running back dead zone and said that one of the things that we need to keep in mind when looking at Gibbs is that running back dead zone is usually made up of running backs that we've seen get an opportunity. This is Najee Harrison to Travis Etienne, right? We've seen them get an opportunity. They didn't perform up to expectations, but they should get a similar opportunity. So while we're not drafting them that high, because they aren't coming in with momentum, volume is king at running back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why they so often underperform because we've already affirmatively seen that these guys aren't going to be overachievers, but we draft them the volume anyway. He said rookie running backs in the dead zone by his study, I don't want to put words in his mouth, and I think that it was perform roughly like a second round fantasy pick. And they're not in the dead zone because 
we've seen them and they've underperformed, but we still have to give a nod to their volume. They're in the dead zone because we just have skepticism about rookies. Um, and I would add to that, I don't remember any time before, Theo, that a running back that went number 12 overall, not just number 12 overall, but number 12 overall in the peak of the exploitative running back market, the running backs don't matter market, is going in the fourth round of drafts. I mean, then back when I was talking about fantasy football, if you got picked in the top 12 of the draft, you might be a first round pick like Bijan Robinson is who went number eight. The other thing about Jameer Gibbs that we have to remember is because he's a receiver out of the backfield, because he can make big plays, um, he doesn't need a lot of touches to hit. He does look at Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler, et cetera. He doesn't, Christian McCaffrey, he doesn't need to get more than eight carries a game if he's getting four or five receptions a game against stressed out defenses that are trying to have some slot corner or some linebacker or some safety match him. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think that Gibbs also, like, if everything works out, I think breaking the rookie running back reception record is in the range of outcomes. I think you could see like Reggie, Reggie Bush year one type receptions. And we talk about like you reference Kamara, you reference McCaffrey. Those guys hit as rookies. Like they both beat their ADP Kamara crushed it and McCaffrey really beat it. And then they both finished inside of the RB one line. So I, I'm with you on Gibbs. And I think that yeah, the, the Lions told you exactly what they think about him. Uh, so I'm, I'm super into him this year. I'm glad to see you are too. Want to pivot over to the quarterback position. We've seen an incredible amount of steam in, in early redrafts like the FFPC and the NFFC uh, where the big three quarterbacks are getting pushed up. In the NFFC, it's even crazier where you have the six-point passing touchdowns. In the FFPC, both of those guys are gone usually at the end of the third round. NFFC, you know, consider it the end of the second SIG, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah. where, where are you at? Is the edge the big three or is the edge looking down and possibly embracing a Lamar Jackson, a Justin Herbert or going even further down? I think you need to be flexible. I think you need to be flexible. Whenever you draft this year, if you haven't gone out into the draft weeds yet, you're going to find that somewhere around the third round, somewhere in the third round, there you're going to feel a significant drop off. Like when you feel your stomach, like when the floor drops out a little bit, Ooh, there's going to be a drop off. And that's where it feels right to take a Jalen hurts or a Patrick Mahomes in a six point pass touchdown league uh, or uh, Josh Allen, because you know what you're getting, you know, you're getting a guy who is going to finish in the top five of the position, at least for every week that he's healthy, right. Or projected in the top five of the position and giving you in that Joe Bryant, well, Hey, what's up, Joe VBD way a real valuable edge over the competition. However, as I said earlier, doing the exercise of a draft is going to show you that you're probably going to be pretty comfortable with the options at various points in the draft. So I think Lamar Jackson around a round and a half later than them, that is as attractive. I think Justin Fields two and a half rounds later as attractive uh anthony richardson we talked about um even you can get in on justin herbert some of these quarterbacks that have a new offensive coordinator right justin herbert is interesting uh juno smith is interesting jared goff is interesting um you know let's even say throw a last round pick at trey lance there's uncertainty there who knows how that's gonna shake out there's a lot of different options you might be into dak prescott you might be into the russell wilson aaron Rodgers bounce back narrative there's so many options that there's not a point in your draft where if you decide to break ties against quarterback you're going to wish or you had taken a quarterback earlier on so i think that for the same reason that jj i mentioned him again uh pioneered that late round quarterback approach the reason it felt good walking out of your draft using that approach was that you locked in advantages at other positions while other teams were taking quarterbacks early so i think that just like so many other things, when the herd is moving in one direction, probably it's best to move in the other direction. So I think keeping that flexibility in your draft plan and waiting until you really like the value of quarterback, you know, and it might be that at the end of the third round, based on the other names that are there, you might say, yeah, I'm going to take Jalen Hurts. That can be where that scale tips for you. But just know that the scale might tip even further for a value quarterback later in your draft. Yeah, I love that answer. I think having being flexible in your builds is is very important. And I think that I'll give Dan Williamson of the GOAT District uh, a, a hat tip for this one. He's, he's probably going to listen to this. So I'll give you a hat tip, Dan. Dan, great NFFC, NFFPC drafter. He likes to take quarterback when he feels like there's no other edge 
So when the edge is gone, yep. dive into that quarterback. And I think that's the best way to do it this year, whether you're early QB or late. And Sig, I want to press press you on this one because I think a lot of times when we're looking for the fantasy, you know, the ADP crusher, it's mm-hmm. often quarterbacks with rushing ability. Mm-hmm. Do you think because I feel like the, the quarterbacks with rushing ability are getting pushed up, should we be identifying mispriced offenses and maybe diving into that? Or, or are you still looking for, you know, scrambling ability if you're going to go late at the QB spot. I still think Daniel Jones is another name, right? Everybody right now, go look up Daniel Jones rushing stats last year. You're going to be surprised. 800, gonna, right? Six, 800 seven, yards? Seven, 800 range. Yep. Yeah. You're going to be surprised. And this offense is going to get better. You know, something that I'm leaning into as an edge, you already mentioned it, and I don't know if there's numbers to back it up, but I don't really care because I think it's always developing. What we're looking at is it's like you never step in the same river twice, right? And uh, second year offenses, really, I'm really fascinated with the idea that these offenses, you mentioned them already, the Giants, uh, Minnesota, Jacksonville, that they can really take a larger step forward than we anticipate. Because partially because, you know, Jacksonville is a good example of the and the Giants too. Just the year one leap, Detroit too, was breathtaking and, and tilted fantasy leagues. It mattered, you know, if you had some optimism about, Daniel Jones, if you had optimism about Christian Kirk, if you had optimism about uh, Amon R. St. Brown, you were rewarded in fantasy leagues. But I think the pie, the entire passing and rushing production pie for these offenses could grow more than anticipated and create multiple overachievers because now the players are fluent in the offense. You have a lot of continuity and personnel in these offenses. And you can really start seeing why the Vikings hired Kevin O'Connell why Doug Peterson has had such a track record of offensive success. Why, uh, if Brian Dable did that with the, you know, dollar store yard sale pieces he had last year, what can he do now that we talked about Darren Waller? So the, this, this is a lot, an angle I'm looking at as an edge, not the new offenses. Cause you know, we could talk about Baltimore. We could talk about the chargers and, that, and then we need to, and we should, but the second year offenses get overlooked. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great one. And I think that like if anything we saw last year, I think that we need to take a step back and try to identify offensive success more so than just identifying players because the guys like last year, we saw Philadelphia, Jacksonville, Miami, everybody beat ADP when you identify these offenses. So I think that's a great way of looking at it. Uh, Sticking with these large scale, high stakes formats, FFPC, Mm -hmm. NFFC, these, these, tournaments like the football guys like the players championship at ffpc people are constantly looking for correct correlation plays between quarterbacks and receivers possibly stacks but at least a little bit of correlation you also obviously see it in underdog who do you think is a quarterback receiver combination that could really tilt leagues this year that's maybe not quite at the at the truly elite center you referenced Daniel Jones, Darren Waller. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Let me, I mean, I'm going to kind of try to think on my feet on this one because that was the first one that popped into my head because we've already talked about them. Um, I think that you can probably get a little cute with it too. Like, uh, and what we're looking at here, I, I don't think you want to lock yourself into stacking that really puts a cramp in your draft plan, right? So we're really, I think you eliminate right off the bat uh, stacks where you have to draft pieces or multiple pieces in the first three or four rounds. So using that as something to uh, disqualify, uh, I think Justin Fields and DJ Moore is really interesting. We're hearing a ton about the chemistry between the two of them. We're hearing a lot about Justin Fields taking a step forward as a passer. It's another year two offense, by the way. Luke Getzey a little more of an unknown, but uh, Justin Fields to DJ Moore, it seems like Justin Fields passing success is going to be directly tied to DJ Moore's success in a fantasy sense. And if one hits, the other is going to hit. And again, Justin Fields hitting as a passer because, hey, Justin Fields might just hit as a runner. And that could be enough. Um, I think that you can probably get away with something like, and this is more super flex leagues than one quarterback league, something like Brock Purdy and, and Brandon Ayuk, right? Uh, again, we're, I, I think where you want to get that correlated success, and if I understand the theory correctly, and I might not, especially when you get in these big tournaments or you get to week 15, 16, 17, it's a way you can have a discrete edge and, and double your edge or amplify or magnify, multiply the edge by getting in to that very successful combination of players. Um, as I kind of sift through these other things, um, Deshaun Watson, that's another quarterback name, by the way. Deshaun Watson and Elijah Moore. 
right? I love that, that you say you say Elijah Moore and not Amari Cooper, because I've, I've heard your takes on, on Elijah Moore. So talk about this one, Sig, and then talk about your thoughts on Moore, because I love seeing you on Moore. Well, we're just hearing more uh, that that's been the guy in OTAs. Uh, now, it's hard. You're getting conflicting reports about whether DeAndre Hopkins is still in play for Cleveland, but let's put that aside for now. Uh, Elijah Moore is a player that we were really excited to draft last year, and things went south quickly between him and the Jets. He asked for a trade, and he eventually got his trade. And uh, this is a player that can work at all three levels of the field. This is a player that can um, really become the primary target in offense. And it sounds like he's already laying down the groundwork for that. And the other thing I'll mention always when I bring this up is when I think of Deshaun Watson, I think of Hunter Renfro. And I think part of the reason that Deshaun Watson, you know, when you think of Deshaun Watson, he's not like Josh Allen, right? Like you don't think of Deshaun Watson making his mark in the NFL by these high degree of difficulty plays. Uh, he's just, a, he's an efficient quarterback. He is a quarterback that has clarity when he reads the field, he gets the ball quickly. And I think that, that target that's the easiest target is a guy that he's going to zero in on and mari cooper donovan peoples jones these are going to be guys running more on the boundaries maybe winning more contested balls and things like that i think that elijah moore makes sense as the first read on these plays and it's really just a question uh because of that unknown i think the uncertainty is has pushed both of their adps down from previous levels when there's a lot of signs that they should be moving up yeah, I love it. It's uh revenge of the Kadarius Tony and Elijah Moore drafters this year. Yeah, yeah. And they could both they could both come back. I think that would be a great, great storyline. Want to stick with the with the AFC North because you are a Pittsburgh Steelers uh, fan and you talk about it and uh, you're 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 passionate with your fanhood, Sig. And I think that that's that's also great. But the AFC North seems like it could be a shootout division. Should we kind of get like dismiss our priors with AFC North? Are you buying into the changing of the AFC North and everybody becoming kind of Cincinnati light with, uh, you know, Todd Munkin and. Right. 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 Yeah. I, I mean, Todd Munkin's interesting. The pace will improve the aggressiveness, the downfield passing, the using Lamar Jackson as a pocket passer will improve. I think the Steelers are still going to be conservative. I think they're, they're just, it's just, not a lot has changed. I mean, the offensive line should get better. I still think they're going to be a running team. I still think they're going to be, telling Kenny Pickett, just don't lose the game for us. Uh, Cleveland, you know that Deshaun Watson is not going to be as bad as he was last year. There's still, it's not a given that he's going to return to the level of play he's had before. Also, cold weather. Remember, he did not. the word was he did not want to go to a cold weather team, and that's why he did not originally pick. Pat. Cleveland wasn't considered a team that had a chance of getting him originally, and then money talks, and it's not, and, you know, Money, money warms money warms you up a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I just, and that, that affects Watson more later in the year. I'm not saying this is something that's determinative, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I think that, that this off this, I think that Baltimore is a really exciting offense. And I think we could see, we already saw once to Lamar Jackson kind of break fantasy football in 2019. And I think that it's in the range of outcomes in a new offense paid, relaxed, ready to commit to the long-term future of this team. I'm more excited about Baltimore than I am about this division as a whole. And I do think that when you see these divisional games, they're more likely to turn into street fights than shootouts. Okay, so pouring a little little bit of cold water on my on my AFC North theory, but, but that's good. And I want to ask you one thing. Najee Harris, mm-hmm. we saw the receiving drop last year significantly from his – he was in the 70s as a rookie, mm-hmm. drops to the 40s with no Big Ben – we're starting to see a little bit of Jalen Warren steam, a right. lot of reports. Right. What what do you prefer right now? Jalen Warren at ADP or Najee Harris at ADP? Oh, it's got to be Warren. And yeah. I, I just think that people need to accept this as a committee. Maybe it's a 60-40 committee. And if the Steelers are successful overall in offense, again, if they're functional, if they're a middle-of-the-road offense and efficiency, Najee Harris can still be a par, a single at ADP. But uh, it's going to take massive overachieving by him or this offense for him to be a hit at ADP, whereas Warren is so much cheaper, and the team loves Warren. So I think by many metrics, Warren was better than Harris last year. I think if you watch the games, it wasn't clear who's the first-round pick and who's the undrafted free agent. And I think, Theo, that's skewing the perception of this backfield, but thankfully not for the Steelers coaches. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I agree with you. I think Warren's super interesting. Are there any other handcuffs or not necessarily even handcuffs, maybe sure. 
maybe if we could take a step back and not even call it handcuffs, backfields right. where yeah. we're not analyzing it correctly. Are there some great values of the perceived number two backs right now? Yeah, or just the backfield as a whole. Because I'm going to say the backfield as a whole for Seattle, right? Yes. If Najee Harris is worth a third round pick, then Kenneth Walker's worth a third round pick, right? And and Zach Charbonnet is probably worth a fifth or a sixth round pick. I think that we're looking at Seattle as an ascendant offense. Absolutely, you know this is a, a this is why can't they both hit? You know, you mentioned that Ingram Kamara backfield. Why can't they both hit? Why not? And in that same vein, Gibbs and Montgomery. I don't think Gibbs makes a lot of sense as a fourth round pick. I think he's more of a third round pick. I don't think that Montgomery makes sense as a seventh round pick. Montgomery at least starts out at the baseline of Jamal Williams. He was worth more than a seventh round pick last year, I believe. I think if we go back and look at the numbers, why is Dave Montgomery, who has got a little more wiggle, is a little more talented, maybe a lot more talented than Jamal Williams? Why is he going in the seventh round? Uh, and then if you're saying, well, you're not, you're concerned about Montgomery in any way whatsoever, then we need to talk about, I don't know, Mo Ibrahim or somebody, because it's this Detroit offense that's going to produce numbers by just showing up and executing. So I think looking at it as, yeah, you can take both backs in a backfield and they can both hit, uh, that applies to Seattle and Detroit. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's we talked about kind of getting rid of prior norms in fantasy football. And in the the age of committee, you're better off betting on two two running backs from the same backfield than trying to pick some bottom five offenses RB1 that you're not going to get impact right. weeks from. I think that that's like if David Montgomery's in your flex all year long, that's not a bad thing. And right now he's very affordable and you're getting a piece of that offense. And, you know, if anything were to happen to Gibbs, Montgomery could end up being a league winner. So yeah. We, you said you've been extremely generous with your time. We're nearing an hour here. This The title of our show is League Winners. So tell me a couple of guys that are going to be a big part of your draft plan uh, that maybe you're a little bit ahead of consensus on or guys you just have strong conviction on. Yeah, uh, I, I'm just going to talk about rookie running backs really quick. And I've mentioned a lot of these guys as we've gone through the show. Rookie running backs and not the rookie running backs you're thinking, like B. John Robinson although and Gibbs we've talked about. I think Zach Charbonnet, Devin A. Chain. I know Dalvin Cook looms over that. And, and hey, if Dalvin Cook could sign it, drops A. Chain's ADP all the better. Um, even uh, Tank Bigsby, I think, is someone that we should be thinking about later on in our drafts. Um, I, I like uh, Antonio Gibson. I think a new coach, some signs, new offensive coordinator, and some signs that he's going to be used a lot more efficiently, especially as a receiver. Um, I'm interested in all those pieces of the Lions offense. Uh, Jamison Williams, the cheaper pieces, Jamison Williams, Sam Laporta. Um, I mentioned Rashid Shahid. I like Zay Flowers. I like Sky Moore. I, when we have uncertainty, I like taking players that are the cheapest of the bunch. Right? Who's going to be the number one receiver who can stay healthy for the Ravens? Who's going to be the guy that really riffs with uh, Patrick Mahomes? Um, and uh, I guess I'll just toss one out, one more out there from an uncertain wide receiver situation. I really like Terrace Marshall. I think there's a lot of signs. I think one thing that people need to know when they're factoring in how to interpret the first two years of Terrace Marshall is that he and Matt Rule just it didn't work. It didn't work. And voila, Matt Rule's fired. And Terrace Marshall starts to play. And Terrace Marshall starts to produce. And I think that while they brought in all these other guys, Terrace Marshall is still the most talented receiver on that roster. I love that. Could it be DJ Shark uh, situation where we see a guy that, that you know, didn't do anything and then all of a sudden yeah. breaks out? I think that that's, you know, two LSU guys. It, it, it could be a nice parallel, especially with the Thielens and the Sharks and and the 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 weapons that are you know the perceived ambiguity in that that receiver core. I think that's great. I love those. And then you mentioned Kyle Pitts. You mentioned Darren Waller. Is there yeah. a later tight end that you're into right now, Sig? Mm, Chiki Okonkwo. I mean, if we're talking about later on, because what are we looking for for potential league winners at tight end? It's the guy who could be the primary target for his team. And I know there's Traylon Burks and, and the Titans are in on DeAndre Hopkins, but Okonkwo is just one of those players that he made an earlier than expected impact, a bigger than expected impact. And I don't think we know his ceiling. That's what I love to draft, Theo. I love to draft players with unknown ceilings. And even though the Titans offense has a known and not that high ceiling, Okonkwo is a player that good things happen when they get the ball in his hands. So they should probably do that a lot more often this year. Yeah, I agree with you. We're, we're big on Chig Okonkwo, a player profiler, and uh, it's good to see you're on him as well. Sig, people are probably following you. Let everybody know uh, where they can find your work yeah. and, and what you have coming out. 
yeah, football guys, you know, if you don't know about football guys, I'm sure there's something there for you. And we just love it. We're of the community. We're just people from the community that enjoy swimming around in this stuff all the time. As far as what's coming up, um, there we've got uh, Cecil and I on Audible. Get it where you get your podcast. We're do our preseason watch list is about to roll out. We do an episode for every team. We go all the way down the depth chart. We love talking about the most obscure players. And uh, it's just that reset. It's an exercise for us that we do a reset. Where are we on all of these teams, all these players? What are we thinking about? What are the questions going into the training camp that gets you ready for the fire hose of news and how to sort through it, like we talked about earlier in the show, and get ready for drafting season. And then next thing you know, it's football season. Yeah, and I'll give uh, football guys a shout out because we just dropped our world famous draft kit, and I had Dave Kluge and Troy yeah. King, and we had Jordan McNamara all do fantastic cameos. Uh, if you want to buy it, well, um, you can get the all in package right now. Use the code Theo for ten dollars off. Sig, you were uh, awesome. It was a really, really, really great discussing stuff with you. Uh, tune in tomorrow, everyone. I have Andrew Erickson on with Billy Muzio and I at three thirty in the afternoon uh, for for first class fantasy. And we'll have another press coverage next week. I appreciate all the uh, the warm messages about getting this podcast going, and uh, looking forward to bringing you some great guests. But it's gonna be hard to top top uh, Sigmund Bloom today. You were just awesome, man. So everybody have a great rest of their day, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.